I didn't know anyone who was working in the law before I started university. And so not only did I not know anyone, I didn't feel like I saw anyone who was from a similar background or could relate to me in that way. And so from then, it's very easy to then get to a place where you feel like a bit of an outsider. And I don't think it's uncommon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Camilla and I'm a law graduate currently going through the process of applying for training contracts. In this episode of the Student Lawyer Podcast, I'm joined by Aaron Mayers, a future pupil barrister at Three Paper Buildings. Aaron will be starting his commercial and chancery pupillage later this year. Aaron will be discussing his journey to pupillage and providing some advice for those seeking a career at the bar on how to make the most out of your time and hopefully become a stronger candidate in the application process. So welcome to the Student Lawyer, Aaron, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm really hoping that today can be useful for those listening. I'm sure it will. Um, okay, Aaron, you've got quite a few questions to get through, so we'll get started. But just to out of interest, um, when did you decide that you wanted to become a barrister? Is it something that you've always wanted to do or yeah, how did you decide? I decided whilst I was at university, it's not something I always wanted to do. To be honest, even through sixth form and when I started my law degree, I wasn't set on what career I wanted to pursue. And I didn't actually know any barristers until I was at university. So in my second year is when I got a good understanding of what the role entails, um, what responsibilities a barrister has and what ca- they can expect to be doing on a day-to-day basis. So that is what informed my decision as to what career path I wanted to pursue. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I suppose before university, if you don't know anyone in the legal profession, yeah, it's, it's not something that initially jumps to mind. Yes. But, um, yeah, that's a good. That's that's good. So, what was your journey like to obtaining pupillage? Was it, um, you know, how many rounds did it take you? Um, did you have to face many rejections? <laughs> yes, um, rejection for me, at least, anyway. Uh, you know, there are obviously those who are very bright, very fortunate to get pupillage the first time round of of applying. But for me, dealing with rejection was a really important part of the process and one that I wouldn't trade for anything else. I think it's quite good to have to go through that process because it's good for character building and getting me to think about what I actually want from the career and where would best suit the realization of those objectives. So in terms of the journey overall, I had I had three rounds of applications altogether. I like to say two and a half. Okay. The the first round I applied to probably around five or six chambers, and that was when I just started the BPTC and I was doing it part time. Okay. In the first of the two years in the BPTC, that's when I did my first round, 
that was unsuccessful. No interviews and no no progress there. Uh, but it was a good experience of getting used to the gateway process and understanding the process of writing the actual application itself, which is very different to any other kinds of applications I've done before. Yeah. And then um, the second round, which was when I was in the final year of the VPTC, that was when I really sort of went all out. I applied to about, I think, 23 or 24 chambers in total. Wow. That was a, a mixed bag, really. I had a number of interviews. I did get a couple of second round interviews, but ultimately I was unsuccessful. But that round was really valuable because I managed to get a lot of feedback and really sort of be introspective and learn about where I could improve. And then the next time around, um, that was the year immediately after completing the BPTC. And that's when I was fortunate enough to be offered pupillage. That's, that's brilliant. I really like how it kind of progressed. I mean, mm. you know, from, from going from your first year when you're kind of just learning about the process to um, I think you can definitely see the clear progression, um, you know, taking that feedback on board and then and then applying yes. it in your final round. So I think that's that's a really interesting journey. Yeah. So you after you finish your BPTC, um, what did you do in between that time to kind of build on yourself um, to become a stronger candidate, do, do you think? So, first of all, one of the reasons I wanted to do the BPTC part-time was so that I could continue learning, developing, getting more work experience. I, yeah. I think, um, for me, I saw the benefits of taking my time because the BPTC is something you know, all aspiring barristers will need to do, but it doesn't need to be the first thing you do. So I thought taking my time with that, as I say, I was working alongside a civil barrister at the time as well. And for a period of the BPTC, I was working as a paralegal. So that helped me to continue my practical experience in the law. And then after I'd finished the BPTC, I went to work for a year at a firm offshore in, in Jersey. Um, which is a legal jurisdiction which has many similarities to the English legal jurisdiction, but it is distinct. It is it has its own case law and precedents, etc. Right. And uh, but that again was really good because this firm contained a mixture of solicitors and barristers. I was working with them on you know day to day issues that arise in the profession in all kinds of different areas, and that really helped me to expand my skill set when it came to dealing with the real practicalities that will you know I'll later have to deal with when I'm on pupillage and beyond that yeah and did you did you find that those experiences really helped you in the um both in the application and the interview process because I know some people going through the process won't have done law or won't have done Mm. um you know won't have completed you know won't have been a paralegal yeah do you think that practical legal experience really made a big impact on the application process um i think for me personally it did it did because i was able to draw on that experience and i think when you're having conversations with practitioners who have been doing this kind of thing day in day out for years if you can converse with them about the kind of things you've been working on and you draw out similarities there'll be different things that you've both come across albeit from different perspectives in the profession 
the the ability to be able to engage in those kind of conversations is definitely an advantage that I used both in my applications and in my interviews. However, I think that it's not exclusively people who have, you know, paralegal work experience or who have done a law degree who get pupillage. Obviously, there are people from different backgrounds. There are considerations for that in many chambers application processes. So if you have on your application that you come from a certain background, I think it will be, or in my view, it ought to be in the interviewer's mind that there'll be certain topics you won't be able to talk about because you don't have that kind of experience. But you can still demonstrate that you have the skills and the practical overall uh, toolkit to draw from that will be useful when you when you start your pupillage and begin your career as a barrister. So on one hand, it definitely helped me. But on the other hand, I don't think it's the be all and end all. You can get to the same place by going a different route. Fine. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, so what would you advise to anyone who hasn't secured pupillage this time around to do be- between now and, you know, when the next application round opens to, to improve their CV? I think, <laughs> ironically, I think the thing that puts you in the best position is to not focus on what's on your CV or what is going to be on the application. Rather, focus on what are the skills that a good barrister in the area that I want to go into has and needs and how can I look introspectively and think, you know, how can I build on on those things and make myself a better version of myself to then present on paper or present in an interview to chambers. And I think that an emphasis on that aspect of your personal development should be prioritized um so that that introspectivity is important and then the other thing is probably taking on board the feedback you know why were you why were you unsuccessful last time i was always in the habit of asking for feedback and i always say that there are two two elements to that one is the feedback you get isn't definitive of who you are as a person it's just you know chamber's view at that particular moment in time about how you performed um so don't take it too personally but on the other hand there is a criteria to fulfill so if there are certain things that you could do better next time to demonstrate that you can fulfill that criteria then take that on board because ultimately you know both the application and the interview is a persuasion exercise and you you want to be the most persuasive version of yourself as you can be that's fantastic advice um and i really like the bit about not taking it personally as well because yeah i think that's something that people struggle i i learned that I from personal experience because yeah. i i have taken things personally in the past and then what it, in the end you can run around in circles because everyone's going to have a different opinion of you someone will think you know you're very good at this you're you don't need to, you know, do a huge amount of work in this area, whereas someone else might think differently. So having your own compass and knowing what kind of professional you want to be should be the barometer for what kind of advice you take on. Brilliant. So I'm sure that some of our listeners who are graduating from either their LLB or GDL this year might be thinking about whether they should start the BPTC in September or whether they should wait till they secure pupillage. Yeah. Um, Was this something that you considered um i did briefly 
consider not doing the BPTC until I had pupillage. But I wasn't yeah. I wasn't comfortable with that because I was sort of placing a limitation or condition on myself. So to pursue that route would mean that it wouldn't be possible for me to complete the BPTC and then secure pupillage, which in the end might be a better option for me. Obviously, you know, everyone wants to secure pupillage as soon as possible. But I think that if you take a a sort of well-rounded view of the kind of person you need to become in order to secure pupillage, you'll see that the BBTC is just one small element of that. And so whether that, right. w- whether you complete that early on or at the end of all the other things you need to do, um, I don't think it makes too much difference. Though that being said, obviously there is a financial incentive to, you know, not take on the risk of doing the BPTC and paying for it without having the, the, the job to, to go to afterwards. That's obviously a consideration and everyone's in different financial situations. So I can't directly advise or, or judge anyone on that. Yeah, I understand. Um, but for me personally, I didn't want to, I was fortunate enough to have a scholarship which covered the cost of the BPTC, but I didn't want to limit myself by saying, okay, the only way I'm going to pursue this route is if I get pupillage beforehand. I wanted to, you know, have the option of have, of securing it afterwards. Okay. So going back to your first and second round, um, you know, you, t- you said that you didn't secure any interviews in the first round and then in the second round you did. So mm-hmm. I assume that you would have improved your application writing technique um, between rounds. And I just, I wondered if you had any advice for our listeners on how they can do the same thing. Yes, that's, that's definitely one way of putting it. There was um, a stark improvement. If I look back now on my first round applications, it's, it's, it's cringeworthy. (laughs) Um, So I think that there's probably two main things that led to the improvement of my written applications. One was the level of research on Chambers, its members, and what they do, where they recruit from, you know, what kind of qualifications people have, what kind of experience they have. I did a a very high level of detail in terms of my research when applying the next time round, which meant that the substance of my application, and particularly answering questions like why this Chambers, was that there was just a lot of detail in there. So it was okay. irrefutable that I knew um, knew the chambers inside out. And then the other thing is that I had a lot more feedback. This ties into the research point as well, but feedback in terms of going to chambers and saying, asking members, you know, what are you looking for in your applications? I know you have your assessment criteria, but yeah. what are the kind of things which make candidates stand out given the kind of experience that I have and sort of, you know, present what I've done to them. What are the kind of things in here which I should give more weight to and expand upon? Um, So that definitely helped me to prioritize what to spend time talking about in my application. And then probably the last thing is I had the opportunity to, I started the process a lot earlier, the second and third time round. So I had more time to refine the application itself. I think it's really important to give yourself that time to get every get all of your thoughts out about how you want to answer a question 
and then continuously refine it so that it's almost um, uh, it's a piece of written advocacy itself in that you are succinctly making very clear and cogent points to persuade them as to why you are a good enough candidate. And that is um, something that takes takes time to develop. So I would advise anyone to give yourself that time. Don't rush applications at the last minute. That, that's great advice. Um, just going back to your first point, reaching mm. out to chambers, is that something, yeah. how did you do that? Just emailing them or calling them? Yeah, sometimes. So by, by whatever means possible, yeah. if chambers had an event on where you, it might be nothing to do with pupillage. It might be, for example, a an educational event where a member of chambers is holding a seminar or a lecture just being able to go there and discuss the wider issues affecting chambers with them gives you a better insight into how to answer certain questions on your on your application and then of course many pupillages of course if i um and many people may be in this position if you're working as a paralegal and you're often in contact with certain barristers anyway it i don't see obviously do it in in a way that's respectful yeah. and and professional but i don't see a problem with reaching out and saying by the way um you know in a sort of personal but professional capacity do you have any advice as to what i might be able to do to to help me with this um if you have if you have that kind of rapport and relationship with your network you know, it's worth putting in the time to build those connections because I have a couple of really good, valuable mentors who have given me great advice in that regard. Um, so it's it's just about being pragmatic and reaching out to as many people as you can. Sometimes, frankly, sometimes you don't get very good advice. Sometimes people tell you things that won't necessarily work for you, but right. it's a constant iterative process to filter out what information you need Brilliant, thank you. So, moving on to the interview stage, um, was you know how was your first interview? Did you manage to improve? Um, what advice would you have for our listeners about um, you know how to best present themselves in a pupillage interview? So, interviews are really interesting because obviously chambers have their own ways of carrying them out, and there are certain chambers which ch chambers which emphasize on you know particular skills particular aspects of what you'll be doing day to day whereas others it's it seems like more of a general conversation a bit more competency based but not necessarily asking you to demonstrate any of these skills right so it's right. it's quite a mixed bag um in my second round of applying i had about six or seven first round interviews wow, and they were they were all they were all really different um so you couldn't really get comfortable with one interview format. I think that in terms of advice, I would say be very be very willing and able to answer any questions about each of the assessment criteria areas that are on that particular chamber's criteria. That's okay. number one. Have examples, have a couple of examples even where you can, you know, reel off how you've demonstrated it what you learned from it and why that makes you a great candidate for pupillage yeah 
practice that at home don't not to the point where you're robotic and you sound rehearsed but just practice it so that you can easily draw on those examples when you need to another piece of advice would be the vast majority of the interviews i had gave me the opportunity to demonstrate some form of advocacy in various forms so sometimes it's legal advocacy sometimes it's just you know topical right. um and so there are there are two elements to that. One is making sure you're aware of the issues of today, particularly if you said you want to pursue a particular area of law, you need yeah. to be on top of the current issues, you know, that everyone's talking about in the industry. And the other thing is be prepared to break down the legal analysis behind those issues and converse or argue for or against that position, regardless of your personal views on the topic. Um, so in, for example, 2017 and 18, well, for a long time, actually, yeah. Brexit has been, you know, one of the really topical issues. So a lot of interviewers at that time were asking about different aspects of that. And so for me, it was a case of, regardless of my personal views on Brexit, being able to argue either way, because that's what the job entails. Yeah, those two things, being aware of the topics of the day and particularly the legal issues of the day and also being able to argue legal and non-legal points both for and against any given position. Um, that's why debating is a really good and helpful skill. If you come from a debating background, obviously mooting helps as well. Yeah. But the skill of debating, you know, it's quick fire under pressure and you have to be able to come up with arguments very quickly come up with rebuttal very quickly in logical ways um so i found that that experience particularly helps me with that aspect of the interview brilliant um so when it comes to practicing that you know arguing each side um you said you obviously mentioned debating but um do you have any any other advice for listeners who might want to develop their public speaking skills um Yes, I think number one is do it as much as possible. So just throw yourself into right. uncomfortable environments where it might be that at the end, you're not the happiest with how you performed. But with every exposure, you, you learn from it, you can be more self aware. And then next time, you know, you implement the, the lesson that you learn. So repetition is really important. And the other thing is, don't be right. afraid to put yourself forward for different types of public speaking. So, um, for example, this this podcast is a form of public speaking. Um, I've I've been to universities yeah. and spoken. I've been to mooting competitions, etc. So there are all of these different forums where different skills are needed, and that also gives you a more well-rounded ability to be able to be an advocate and to adapt to certain situations because even as a barrister the skills that you need to emphasize on for example if you're in the employment tribunal and you're sitting down in a room in front of a panel is very different to if you're in the high court in a chancery matter um you know arguing about security for costs so exposing yourself to different areas you will develop a more well-rounded skill set that's a really great point, actually. Um, I never really thought about that, like all the diff kind of different um, presentation skills that you'll need for different yeah. Um, yeah. scenarios. 
So I noticed from your blog, actually, that you mentioned imposter syndrome. And that's something I really wanted to ask you about because I can relate to that. So I wondered if you could share any confidence um, hacks that you might have, um, relate, you know, how to overcome that. Yeah, I think so for me personally, that I think it probably comes from a place of when I first became involved with the profession. As I say, I didn't I didn't know anyone who was in working in the law before I started university. And so not only did I not know anyone, I didn't feel like I saw anyone who was from a similar background or could relate to me in that way. And so from then, it's very easy to then get to a place where you feel like a bit of an outsider. And I don't think it's uncommon. But that being said, you know, the, the profession is gradually making progress towards being more inclusive and you can definitely see that and i've i think i've been a benefit of that yeah uh, um a beneficiary of that rather and but in terms of um overcoming that imposter syndrome i think not looking externally for validation that you're good enough to do the job is a big step so if like i said earlier about things like feedback or you know, when you're speaking to people and they give you different versions of advice that that you should take on. If you have your own barometer as to the best type of professional that you want to be, you will develop your own um, knowledge as to, you know, what is good enough and what isn't good enough to be able to do the job. And so when you're not relying on external opinions about how you see yourself and how you see yourself fitting into the working environment that you want to be a part of, that I think is a big step towards getting over that imposter syndrome. And the other thing is not allowing the the imposter syndrome to stop you from doing anything. You can sometimes, you know, analyze things so much and almost write yourself off before you've even thrown your hat into the ring. But the more you sort of um, back yourself and go, go forward with, creating opportunities that you want for yourself and then they materialize and then through your own performance you see evidence that you are good enough then you're in kind of a self-fulfilling cycle of i'm good enough i'm good enough i'm going to put myself forward for things that i think i'm good enough for oh great i'm good enough and then it's yeah the cycle just continues so i think just back yourself really that's really fantastic advice um yeah and really powerful so thank you for sharing that and what do you think your biggest challenge overall was to securing pupillage um, and how did you overcome it? Um, biggest challenge? There, there were probably several. So um, at, like I said before, at the start, one of my challenges was I think I come across well in interviews, but I wasn't necessarily good at conveying why I was a good candidate on paper. So between the first round and the second round, that was my biggest challenge to overcome. And then after that, I think the thing I had to overcome was having the self-awareness to know what my strengths were and how they aligned with what Chambers was looking for. I had a tendency before to, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, when you do your research, you want to know what Chambers are looking for because at the end of the day, that interview panel or that pupillage panel is the the gatekeeper between you and what you want. But at the same time, being yeah. self-aware and knowing the strengths you have to bring to them that will be persuasive, that's something that we should never overlook. 
So yes, on one hand, have their assessment criteria in mind. But on the other hand, you can have unique skills, a unique perspective, um, a, a unique quality or set of qualities to bring to Chambers. Perhaps it took me a little while to recognize what those were. But once I did, then it became easier for me to be persuasive and, you know, at the end of the day, convince, convince people that I should be a barrister. I really relate to that, actually. Um, I think that for me anyway, in mm -hmm. the first time that I started applying for things, you kind of try yeah. to bend yourself a bit too much to what you think a candidate should be yeah. rather than playing up your own strengths. And then in the end, exactly. you end up diluting yourself down and not really showing off your, That's exactly right. Yeah. what makes you different. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that advice. Um, do you, you, you mentioned a little earlier on about having mentors um, and you, you mentioned that it was, mm -hmm. it was kind of through reaching out to people. Um, it, is that how you obtained your mentors or did, is there any kind of organizations out there that provide mentors? Uh, yes, no, it's a, it's a good question. Um, so initially, <laughs> initially I obtained mentors through a light form of harassment so <laughs> what what I would do is I would see um, particular barristers in positions who you know had information or were in positions where they would be really helpful I didn't personally know them because as I said at the start I didn't really know anyone and so just reaching out to them or going to the events that they were going to and exchanging contact details and then following up and you know meeting up with them and having conversations that was really how the initial mentorship relationships started and um you know some of them have been yeah some first of all all of them were very well intentioned and i'm very grateful for every single one of them for setting aside the time to listen to my questions you know genuinely think about helpful answers um yeah. but what you'll learn and anyone who's listening to this what you'll learn is that not every mentor has the precise bit of information that you need to unlock your question because like i said everyone has their own forms of advice and so i learned that quite early on so i thought it was valuable to have multiple mentors so then you could sort of get their collective perspective and analyze it um myself to then you know make a judgment call as to what I should do do with any particular problem. So I would definitely say have multiple mentors if you can from from different backgrounds and perspectives. Um, but yes, there are organisations out there that can help. So at the time, I was working um, as a paralegal, and this was in when I just started the BPTC, and I came into contact with a mentor who was working with a charity. Um, and at the moment, I don't know if, I, I don't think this charity meant, um, currently has a mentoring scheme. So I'm not going to mention them by name, but there are others now which exist yeah. for exactly the same purpose. Um, I know of organizations like BME Legal, um, who I've, who, who I know some of the organizers of that, and they are a really good organization for putting together, you know, workshops, seminars, and really getting professionals in the room with candidates so that you can answer their questions and then after that you know organic mentorship relationships can develop um in addition to that i am currently putting together um 
various trying to put various things in place but we're about to launch a charity called bridging the bar and one of our schemes will be a mentorship scheme so we've had you know really good support from a lot of very prominent barristers i can't say too much because the official launch will be um in in a couple of months but it's it's organizations like the one i'm setting up and like bme legal and many many others if anyone wants to follow up after this i can happily provide a list of charities and organizations that you can get mentors from but there is help out there is the point i'm making so make use of any schemes that you come across um and again like i said before back yourself you know don't don't think oh i'm not quite good enough or there's there's no point in me asking them because blah 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 um just reach out and it could be one conversation that unlocks you know the thing that you needed to make your application better and and you know progress fantastic um, and I just want to um, also mention the fact that the student lawyer, to, to, to the listeners, the student lawyer um, is setting up a mentorship scheme as well for um, Brilliant. solicitors and barristers. So if anyone would like to sign up to that, um, well, to the waiting list, because I think it's going to open later this month um, for applications. But if you are if you are interested, then head over to www.thestudentlawyer.com or email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. So um, moving on, is there anything that you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself, um, you know, a couple of years ago before before obtaining pupillage? Any words <laughs> of wisdom that you wish you could have told yourself? Um, I think there's probably so many because I had quite a few misconceptions about, you know, the journey and, and what it might take to secure pupillage. And, you know, I'm, I'm still at a very early stage and I maybe still do have a lot of misconceptions which will eventually iron themselves out. But um, one thing I would say is I spent, you know, be, being from a non-traditional background and having the, the aspirations I had, it was at times difficult to look past some of the statistics or some of the, you know, apparent apparent facts which one yeah one might internalize and then come to the conclusion that this profession isn't for them early on when i was at university doing my law degree i was probably a bit too attached to or taken in by those statistics and yeah really if you think about it practically they're not actually relevant because i'm one person i'm an individual and when i'm going through this you know, the application process or developing my skills when, when I'm doing my practical legal work experience, I'm, I am just me, all I have to, you know, control or, or um, determine the outcome of is what I do and the choices I make. And so if I was more concentrated on that, um, perhaps I would have been a bit less frustrated and a bit less judgmental of, of myself for, not progressing earlier um but you know these these things you you come to realize after a while aren't really determinative of you know my potential or what i can do they just happen to be statistics and i don't have to adhere to that statistic presented to me that's really powerful um 
yeah, I really, I really like your perspective on on everything. Um, you're so positive. <laughs> Thanks. I try to be. I just think being positive <laughs> is pragmatic. I just think. Yeah. If there's any outcome that I want, I might as well look for the things that can bring that about instead of fighting against it. Absolutely. So, what are you up to now between um, now and starting pupillage? Um, I am. So, I'm currently working as a paralegal. As I said, also working on setting up a charity bridging the bar yeah um i'm spending quite a lot of time getting to know chambers a lot more so i've been in contact with head of pupillage um, one or two junior members of chambers as well as the current pupils just to stay in the loop and you know maintain my my connection so that going into october when i start pupillage i'm i don't feel like i'm coming into a strange place oh, that's really good I really need to set aside some time, hopefully in August or September for a good prolonged break, um, because that's probably my my weakness. I do quite a lot and work a lot, but yeah. I think I would benefit from a break between now and when I start pupillage. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I'm up to at the moment. Right. So um, for all of the listeners, if they want to follow you um, anywhere, do you... Uh, I mentioned your blog a little bit earlier. Um, would you like to provide help yeah. with that so people can follow your journey? Yeah, sure. So I currently I'm publishing regular articles on Medium, and if you go into my LinkedIn profile, just type in Aaron Mays in the search bar, and you I'll come up. Um, you'll see that at the top of my profile I have my Medium articles. So please have a look at those if you if you think they could help. I'm also on Twitter at Mayers Speaks, that's M-A-Y-E-R-S-S-P-E-A-K-S. And I'm also I'm I'm putting a lot of things together for this charity, as I say. There'll be a lot more announced in due course about that. Um, but bridging the bar, make a note of that, or send me a message and I can make you aware of when the charity officially launches. We are setting up a mini pupil mini pupillage program so that you know, um, aspiring barristers from underrepresented backgrounds have wide access to work experience opportunities at the bar. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> fantastic. Aaron, thank you. You've been such a fantastic guest. Um, your advice has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you for having me. And your positivity and all the action that you're taking, I personally find very inspiring. So yeah, thanks for coming and sharing your time to speak to me um, on the Afternoon. thanks very much camilla and um i i think platforms like this you know um yeah. whether it's podcasts or youtube series these are really helpful and when i was at university i think this kind of thing was starting to emerge more but i'm really happy that people like you take the time to build these platforms so that this kind of information can spread more thank quickly you. so thank you very much for that okay to all the listeners thanks for listening um please do uh share this episode with anyone that you think might find it helpful um also follow us on spotify itunes google podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review if you found this helpful thanks for listening To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. 
If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today.